0: I was, uh, um, was when we were talking about the service, I was saying, you know, we really don't need the preaching. It's all sort of been done, right? You know, but here I am anyway. So, all right. So, um, a uh, a few weeks ago when I shared, I began my message in this series on foundations with talking about foundations and the importance of foundations. And if you were here, you might remember, I told a story about being at a hardware store here in town and overhearing a couple of guys waiting at the counter and talking, and one of them was telling the story of he had like a gold era house um, that he was having to work on and discovered that the foundation of this house consisted of four big rocks, one under each corner of the house. And that he was having some foundation issues (laughs) because things were shifting and, and changing and and just reflecting on the importance of foundations, the importance of foundations in our life. And when we, when we think about that from a biblical perspective, when we think about that from the life of Jesus, that Jesus is called the cornerstone. He, he is called the foundation stone that, that won't be moved. And that when we put our lives on that foundation is that no matter what happens in life, that we're going to stand firm because the foundation will not move it's important to have strong foundations because the foundation that you stand on is going to be tested. Can anybody give me an amen on that? Has anybody had your sort of core values, your core beliefs, your faith in God and who he is and his character? Has this ever been questioned? Has it ever been tested where you're like, okay, God, who are you really? Really what's going on here? What do I really believe in? What is most important to me? And life tests the foundations that we stand on. And in that test, we come to find that some of the things that we were standing on aren't all that firm, and that God wants to shift our focus of what we have as our foundation. The other thing is that I talked about is that our foundation is only as strong as our community that we're a part of. The foundation that we're a part of is only as strong as the community that we're a part of, because it's our community that that speaks into, that supports, that encourages us in our foundation. I was reflecting on this um, with Pam here recently as I was thinking about sort of the culture that we live in here in the United States, and also, uh, uh, interestingly, how that is reflected in a lot of our faith culture today, is, is that... Within our culture, general culture today, that the ultimate determiner of truth is me. I'm the one who determines what is true. That I have to live my truth. It's called my truth. And that I identify who I am. And, and, And interestingly, no, some of that has come into the church. It's like, you know, I need to listen to God, and I'm going to follow God's voice to me. Now, it's important to listen to the voice of God and to be obedient to the voice of God. But one of the things that we forget when we look at the biblical story, when we look at people coming to faith in Jesus throughout the biblical story, is that individuals came to faith in Jesus, yes, but in the context of a community of others around them that supported them and tested them, that challenged false beliefs, that encouraged God's beliefs. And that the community that we put around us, the relationships that we have, the friendships that we invest in, are going to be the thing that is going to determine the strength of that foundation. And so we've been talking about here at Cold Spring Church, what. What is our foundation, you know, as we come into this season of ministry, as we come into this season of life within our church, within our community, within our world. And and where we are basing that on is, is that of looking at something that we've been working on for years, over the last number of years, of how do we as a church continue to grow young? How do we as a church continue to have a stage that would be filled up with young adults who are launching into that next phase of life that we can stand with and stand behind and encourage them to have a, life, a lifelong faith in Jesus. And so one of the things that is important, just to help you understand, when we talk about what does it mean to be a disciple, this is how we describe what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus in a relationship of love, in an ever-deepening relationship of love with God and with others and helps others do the same. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you, and remember that I will always be with you. That is the great commission. Those are some of the last words of Jesus to his disciples to say, this is what you're to be about a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus in an ever deepening relationship of love with God and with others and helps others do the same. And we also are really intentional about seeking to engage the whole person. Is is that we want people who are part of Means church to have confidence in knowing their faith deeply that they have an intellectually engaged faith that 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 Christianity can stand up against any philosophy in the world that has ever been and ever will be and can stand firm. That You do not have to check your brain at the door in order to believe in Jesus. But we also want people to be encouragement in experiencing fully. Is that the life of Jesus is a life that we experience. It is a relationship of love. And love is an experience that we have out of the relationships that we are engaged in and then we also want people to have courage in living intentionally. That's part of what I love about your story, Jesse and Slaney, is, is that when you started college, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, I'm going to get this degree so I can go to college ministry and, and join Challenge. But you took the next yes in following Jesus, and, and then as Jesus led and revealed his path for you, as you said yes. I'm going to have courage in living faithfully, intentionally, in following Jesus. So growing young has been a part of this, of how do we live that out and how we do that. And this morning, what I want to talk about and share with you is, is this idea of unlocking keychain leadership. I want to talk about leadership. Now, um, when I was uh, in uh, beginning of my ministry here a number of years ago, there was a, an influential mentor, coach in my life by the name of Bill Hoyt. And I remember Bell Hoyt sharing his personal mission statement, and it was this, more better than me. Uh, I did hear from a high school grammar uh, teacher, uh, English teacher, that the grammar might not be p- proper on that, but I like it. So, you know, more better than me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to seal that. And I, I think that that's a, a great. And, and so that was what his desire is, is, that there would be more people that would go further, that would be smarter, that would be more engaged, that would lift up more than He did. Has anybody here ever seen a turtle on a fence post? You ever seen a turtle on a fence post? Right. Now, there's some different stories around the turtle on the fence post idea. But there is an African proverb that relates to this, and the African proverb is this. When you see a turtle on top of a fence, know that it did not get there on its own. I mean, when you see a turtle on the fence post, I mean, the first thing you think is, is that, how did you get there? <laughs> how, did, how, how did that happen? How did you get there? When we think about leaders, when we think about young people rising up and engaging in this next scene in their life, part of the question is, that, how did you get there? One of the things that, uh, you know, when I've gotten bored of sitting in my recliner and thinking, you know, I want to check out watching TV, so I check out, you know, what are the options on the sports, you know, channels, and I've seen um, um, cheerleading competitions. you ever seen cheerleading competitions? Where, I mean, they do crazy stuff in cheerleading competitions, and, and, and they're all very enthusiastic, and they're throwing people all over the place. And I don't know if you ever sort of like, you know, caught just a picture of that person who's been thrown up in the air, and you're looking at them, and if you just see them, you're like, how did you get there? Well, the way that they got there is is somebody threw them there. They didn't just automatically fly in the air. Somebody somebody threw them up there. But here's the other part of it, is is that they got to come down. So who's there to catch them. So there's the thrower and there's the catcher, there's the flyer and there's the catcher. And you don't fly through the air on your own power and you don't come down safely without a catcher. And that's a great picture of leadership. And I want us to look at a, pa- a passage of scripture this morning briefly, and it's in found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and I want to talk to you about leadership next. In Leadership Next, there's a picture that's coming up here, is, is that we just uh, finished up Mission Placerville. Anybody involved in Mission Placerville? All right. Woo! Mission Placerville. Daniel's still recovering from Mission Placerville. Hannah, that's your husband, Daniel. Daniel, that's your wife, uh, Hannah. Um, so, um, so, so here's the thing within this picture, is, is that the guy in the middle of the picture, the guy in the middle of the picture is Andy Abramson. And Andy Abramson was one of the first youth pastors that, that hired here and he started Mission Placerville. And I think this year was year 18. Is that right? Sure. Okay, sure. All right. Make it up, David, as you go along. Um, 18. And so it started with Andy. And then when Andy left, he had raised up Nick Campagna, who's the guy on the, on the left. And Nick carried on that Vision of Mission Placerville, which is gathering kids, and I think there were seventy, uh, about seventy kids, seventy plus kids that we had from four churches in our community gathered together to learn about Jesus, to serve in our community, and to engage in worship, and to be disciples, to learn to be disciples, and then, and then Nick passed that on to this other guy. I don't know, uh, big guy on the right. You might have seen him before, Daniel. Leadership next. I like that response right there to to Daniel. You might want to work on some of your guys up here. So 1 Timothy 1. Let me read to you a little bit of Paul's letter to Timothy. Now, just a little background. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of what we call the New Testament, the letters. He was a major force, but he knows that he's going to be martyred. He's going to die and he is passing on his leadership to somebody else, and he chooses Timothy to do that. And so he writes a couple of letters that we have to Timothy to instruct him and encourage him in his leadership. Next, and so let me just start reading First Tim- or Second Timothy chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of control, of of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let's look at these verses and a few others uh, within this uh, section. One of the things is, is that when we look at this and we think about Paul is passing on the baton of leadership to another leader, to a young leader. And, and here's the thing is, is that the leadership baton is passed on or it is dropped. The leadership baton is passed on or it is dropped. Does anybody here ever run track and done um, relay When I was in high school, I did that, and um, I think it was a 400 relay, and so I was in the middle of it, you know, thing, and I remember we were running at this little school, and the track was a cinder track. That means that the the track was covered not by that nice, you know, rubber, you know, material, but by cinders, which is volcanic material, ground up. And you have to pass the baton within a certain space, or else you're disqualified. And so I remember coming up and that, you know, the guy takes off and we're getting to the line where it needs to get to him. And I don't think I'm going to make it. So I just sort of reach out and I hand off the baton. In the meantime, I do a Superman through the cinders. It hurts a lot. I mean, just like all the way down. Now you're thinking, you know what's so hard about passing a baton from one person to another? I mean, you know, that's pretty simple, isn't it? There was an article back in uh, 2021 um, at the time of the Tokyo Olympics. And here's the title of the... uh, So these are Olympic athletes. These are basically professional athletes, right? Here's the title of the article. Why can't the U.S. relay team figure out how to pass a baton? And here's a little part of it. A brief recounting of the American team's baton passing mishaps in recent years. At the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, a US runner dropped the baton during an exchange. In the 2009 World Championships, two runners exchanged the baton before the passing zone started, and the team was disqualified. In 2011, an American runner collided with a British runner in another lane and fell. In 2015, the US team made the exchange after the passing zone and again was disqualified. If there's a way to blow a baton exchange, the United States men's 4x100 relay team has done it. Coming into Thursday morning, the team had messed up an exchange at seven of the past 11 Olympics and World Championship meets. These are professionals, folks, right? Since 2005, the team had either not finished or been disqualified because of a baton exchange failure six times. Why is it so hard to pass a baton? Does anybody here have a parent's... Have you ever struggled with passing the baton? Leaders, have you ever sought to raise up somebody else and it's like, okay, we've got to pass the baton, and, and it just doesn't seem to work well? How, how, why is that? Because somebody has to pass it, somebody has to receive it, and you have to do it in the right time. It's a challenge. But if you don't pass the baton, the baton is dropped. And you may not be aware of this, but within our culture, within the U.S. right now, there are hundreds of churches that close every month hundreds because the baton was not passed and was dropped it's critical the other thing that we see in Paul's words to Timothy is this, is that you can't lead whom you don't love in verses 2-4 through four, it says to Timothy my beloved child grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You see, love is an action and an attitude. Love is an action and an attitude. And we see that both here in Paul's words to Timothy. Is it he is acting towards love? He is writing this letter of encouragement. But you see his heart towards Timothy as well, who, by the way, is radically different than Paul. Timothy and Paul, it seems like when you read about Timothy and you read about Paul, I mean, Paul was this hard-charging guy. He's, you know, he's constantly getting beat up, stoned, you know, he's everywhere he goes and he starts speaking. There's a riot that starts that he tends to be in the middle of. You ever had, uh, gotten one of those, you know, blow-up um, boxing toys, you know, where you hit it, and it, you know, it falls over, and then it pops up? That's like Paul, right? You know, he's like, boom, and then you can, just, pow, pow. And Timothy is this, at one point in Paul's letter, he says, Timothy, if your stomach is upset, it's okay for you to drink a little wine. And and there's this sense of timidity that about Timothy, which is almost opposite of Paul, but here, he is somebody that he has chosen and, and he is loved, and we'll talk about that in just a second. The other thing here that we see in Paul's words is that faith continues when it is shared and received. And this, should, this verse should be a real encouragement to you if you are, particularly if you're a, a, a single parent, if you're a, a single mom, single grandmother, and you are concerned for the spiritual life of your kids. Here's an encouraging word. I'm, impr- I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that f- dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. And here's the thing about faith, is that faith continues when it is shared and it is received. We can't control the receiving. Have, have you noticed that? Anybody frustrated with that? It's like, man, I, w- I want to control the receiving. I want to to control the person that I'm trying to share with it that they would receive. You can't control that, but you can control the sharing. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, friends, your responsibility is to share. Take that and be faithful with that and let God do the work in the receiving Here's something also really important in in Paul's words is that the next leader has to wear their own armor. These famous words, if you've been around the church, I'm sure you've heard them before, is 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. This reason I remind you to fan and deflame the gift of God, Paul is telling to Timothy, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. I've invested personally in you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Again, sort of this... This character or this personality of Timothy seems that there's some fearfulness there. So Paul is having to remind him, hey, you know what? You don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power and love and self-control. Sounds an awful lot like Paul, right? In the life that he lived, that we see in the, the pages of Scripture. There's a great story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it's the story of David and Goliath. Anybody heard of the story of David and Goliath? It's a famous story, right? You know, Goliath is Philistine, he's making fun of the Israelites, David comes to bring lunch to his, his brothers, he, he gets upset, he says, I'm going to go kill, I'm go kill the, the giant. And Saul, the king, who is bigger than everybody in the, in the story, he stands head and shoulders above everybody, he's a big guy, he says, great, that's fantastic, David, here, put on my armor so when you go to fight this giant that nobody else will fight, he's not gonna, he won't kill you. And so David puts on Saul's armor, and David, we know also from Scripture, is not a big guy. He's a small guy. He puts the armor on. he's like, "This doesn't fit. I can't wear this." Down in verse 40 uh, says, "And David um, it says, then, "Then he took his staff. He says, "I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them." So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch his sling with his, in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So David took off all the armor, the sword, the mail, all the things that, that a warrior would wear if he was going into battle that you would be wise to wear because it didn't fit. And instead, he went and picked up five rocks and put them in his pocket. Why did he pick up five rocks and put them in his pocket? Because David was a shepherd. And David had spent his life, his youth... In the wilderness, fighting off beasts with a sling with rocks. That is how God had shaped and trained David for his life and his ministry, his service to God. Not through Saul's armor, but through five rocks. And that was where he was the strongest. You know, for us as parents, sometimes we think, okay, I know God loves you, son, daughter, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. This is the way you're supposed to do it because this is the way I did it and this is how I was blessed. But God has shaped and created that child of yours, that son, that daughter. God has created that next generation leader that he has put into your path in their own unique way. And our job is to help them to figure that out and to pick up the five rocks and not to wear our armor. If we're going to release the next generation of leaders, they have to be grounded in the truth. They have to be grounded in the truth, again, because we live in a world where everything's relative, where we make whatever we believe, whatever we determine, that is our truth that everybody then has to live by. And God says that's not the way it works. There is truth. There is truth. There is a way. There is a truth. There is a life. And it's Jesus. And so we ground in the truth, and that's where Paul says in Second Timothy 1.12, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has been entrusted to me. Paul had assurance and strength of faith, and that's one of the things that we seek to have, that we would have confidence in our knowing. But also, interestingly enough, if we're going to launch the release the next generation of leaders, we have to encourage them to suffer, what? We have to encourage you to suffer. Now, again, we live in a culture that says avoid suffering at all costs. But that is not how God works. In 2 Timothy 1 it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord Timothy, Paul saying, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in the suffering. Of the gospel by the power of God. You know, one of the inane statements that's come out of the church that we say, and we've sort of taken it as biblical wisdom, and is absolutely not, it is it is this. God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? Yes. You ever said it? I have. Yes. It's a lie. See, because here's the deal: is if God never gives you more than you can handle, then everything that you come up against in life, you can handle. You don't need God. Why would you need God? Because God's got this little bubble around you, and you don't need God. No, your suffering, your challenges, your difficulty is the invitation to faith. God is going to give you things that are beyond you. You are going to experience suffering. Jesse and Slaney, you are going to experience suffering in this path that you have chosen in ministry. Guys, you're going to experience suffering in this path that you have chosen. Here is the truth. The grace of God will keep you wherever the hand of God will lead you. The grace of God will keep you wherever the hand of God will lead you. So wherever you are, if you are walking with God, God is a part of that. His grace has gone before you and is with you and is behind you and is beside you and is over you and is under you. And you can bank on that. And we also need to be committed to community. Remember I said we are not an island by ourselves. In verse 14, it says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Do you notice that Paul uses both a singular and a plural within this sentence? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, plural, within this community of faith, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy, individual. You have a faith you have a responsibility within the faith that god has planted into your life and into your heart but that is guarded in community with others every you has an us behind it every individual every you you guys you need to know as you go out into the world you are not alone you have a body of christ that is behind you you have an us that is guarding the you that god has put, planted in your life and then lastly you need to love Jesus most. You need to love Jesus most. In 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So oftentimes, there, we can overemphasize or we, can, we cannot have the balance that following Jesus is not just about the things that we do. Spiritual disciplines, or practices are really important, but that they are means to an end. The means, the end is, is that you would have a deep, passionate love for Jesus, and that you would know His deep, passionate love for you. It's not mostly about the things that we do, but about who we love most, and who loves us, that determines the course of our life. What we love, we will do, and whom we love we will serve, and we will become. It can go both ways. If you love evil, you will become, and you will serve evil. But if you love righteousness, if you love Jesus, you will have the character of Jesus. Love Jesus most. So, as we conclude, here's the thing, is is that I want you to come away with, is that all of us play a part in this. Remember, there's the flyer and there's the catcher, right? Think about that in your life and where you are right now this this morning. You might be sitting there and thinking, yeah, you know, I'm retired. I'm old. I, I, I really, you know, this is a nice thing, but this is about leadership next. You need to understand something. I have not found anywhere in scripture where there is a retirement plan for those who follow God. You don't retire. Your job shifts and changes for sure, but you never retire. So, Are you the thrower or are you the catcher? If you're the thrower, that means intentionally investing in the life of a next leader. the, The key word here is intentionality. Intentionally investing in the life of the next leader. Moms, dads, uncles, aunts, grandmas, grandpas, friends, it's you. Who is it? And we, can, we do that by praying for them, by encouraging them, by sharing wisdom, by giving financially, giving of our time, giving of our resources to equip and to launch them, where people are like, how did you get there? <laughs> how did that happen? It's because somebody threw me. And then there's also the catcher. And the catcher is to be the community that cares that very similarly, that prays, that encourages, that gives. Each of us needs to be a part of a leadership next. Now, and here's the thing. It's not about a what. It's about a who. God has a who for you. It's not a Dr. Seuss book, by the way, all right? God has a who for you. Who is the person that God's Spirit is putting on your heart, on your mind right now? What's the name? Who, who is it? Because God has a who for you to play your part. And so my challenge to you is this: obey and play your part for generation next, leader next. Let's pray. Did you stand with me, please? Jesus. I pray for these, um, particularly for these young um, men and women who are in transition of launching into life. Some of them, we've heard their stories a little bit this morning, others who are sitting here as they're heading into college, and maybe for the first time or this next season. Lord, I pray for your protection and your guidance and your provision over each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray for Cold Springs Church that you would give us the privilege and the honor of being a part of being Part of, of Generation Next leader. Lord, that you would show each of us the, the who that you have for us. That one more person to, to invest in, to love, to pray for, to give, to serve, so that they can be the leader that's going to influence the world for your glory and for your kingdom. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder just through the people standing on this stage of the work that you are doing. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.